RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Andy Hooley is a former engineer and now a full-time EMF surveyor. That's electromagnetic field surveyor. Andy's business, Earthwaves, is dedicated to creating low EMF healthy environments. We've been talking quite a bit recently about EMF um, from many angles here at RCR. And uh, given the feedback, uh, the incoming emails and texts, there's a lot of interest in EMF uh, throughout our audience. So, Andy Hooley, welcome to RCR. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for inviting me. Okay, so EMF's been around as long as radio has been around, right? <laughs> right, yeah. It, it, it goes back to uh, the mid-1800s, early 1800s, when we st- first started rolling out telegraph lines and then later on the electric grid. Um, but it, it, certainly in the 1700s, when we first started playing around with electricity, discovering what electricity was, that's when you know EMFs started, started affecting people. Gosh, that's a long time ago now, isn't it? It is, it is. The, the, the early um, people who who started discovering electricity would would use it as a parlor trick and the the Leyden jar um would they'd use it to create electrostatic and um and and do it for party tricks and things um but that slowly developed into understanding how um an energy moves and that you can transmit you know sound waves or you know certainly audio through through telegraph lines but I, I take it the sort of EMF that we're sort of talking about here, it, it's more the what the transmitted EMF, like the early, I suppose the first form of that would be the early radio stations, right? The uh, the early transmissions of radio rather than through the copper wire. That wouldn't have been a great powerful field in those days, right? It, it wasn't, no. But there is evidence to show that the early the early telegraph wires um, did start in effect. It did start affecting people, um, and then when the rollout of the electric grid happened, and if you see old photographs of New York City or even Sweden, the power the power poles have thousands of wires running. Through. Yes, that's right. Yeah, they did, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and a a modern age disease at the time was called neurasthenia, which which was basically a collectible term for all sorts of conditions, which was given to the middle classes, the people that could afford afford you know appliances and phones and things like that. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly the you can imagine the EMF environment um, in in a house or in a building where there's hundreds of wires coming over the roof through past the chimney. Uh, you can imagine that the you know the EMF environment changed very quickly in the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, and the human body had never really had to deal with that before. No, no, we didn't. We're obviously adapted to a certain amount of of change in the environment, um, but at that point, the 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 change came from the light bulb in the late eighteen hundreds, and the rollout of the electric grid and the telephone network all sort of exploded at the same time. Um, or, yeah, carry this, on. Is all, this is all covered in in a, in a great book um, called uh, "The Invisible Rainbow" by Arthur Furstenberg, and he chronicles all of the the rollout from the early days of playing around with electricity to um, basically to where we are now. So those, those we'll get on to where we are now in just a moment, but this is really interesting. So those early power poles with all those wires, is that because they hadn't? 
kind of figured out how to bundle sort of multiple cables into one cable or why was it why were there that many cables then well it's probably just the way they installed them they just kept adding adding to it as more and more people bought appliances that could connect and it, and it's you know the 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 revolution after that was washing machines and and um and other electrical appliances fridges and things so um i guess they just continued to add to it and then at, at some point they realized that they can then replace all that cabling with with heavier cabling to deal with all the current um and then you know the wiring on the poles and underground you know shrunk down this reminds me i was in uh, brazil um, a few years ago and uh, one of the cities i was in walking through the streets and and there were all these um cat five cables that have been sort of clipped together like as long as you could get with an adapter to make them longer and they were everywhere it's like this huge bird nest of them and that's the way that people were able to plug into the internet it was yeah, <laughs> like going like back in vietnam. time in a way yeah it's like that in vietnam there's uh when i've been there i've got photographs of street corners just with hundreds of meters of coils of cabling you know hanging on a pole um and yeah, obviously, as the infrastructure changes, you know, they, they'll start changing the technology that helps to transmit that, um, that you know, the signals or the electricity that they're after. How much of a health risk is EMF now to the average person? Let's let's start at that baseline. So, the way the way the way I see it, a home at the end of the day, we have. All these electrical fields in, in inside the home. We have magnetic fields inside the home, and these are pulsing AC electric and magnetic fields. We have a, a significant radio frequency footprint, and within within the electric fields, we also have dirty electricity. We also have light pollution. If we keep on the EMF EMF theme, because light pollution is still part of the EMF spectrum. So I, I sort of consider a home an isolation chamber from nature the to what degree we don't know it's it's really just my uh, my phraseology um but where, where i'm sat now i've got however many electric circuits around me then this is a pulsing ac um, electric field i'll have a bunch of fields from these computers even though i'm trying to minimize it i'm not in any radio frequency because i i, I um, turn wi-fi off and i'm i'm cabled um but it's in the last certainly in the last thirty years, our EMF environments have changed considerably. Certainly, with you know, with um, with with the internet and then broadcasting Wi-Fi. Um, so certainly in, in modern homes, certainly the, the the more modern many of the modern homes I go to have a have a much larger wiring footprint. So if you could strip away all of the jib and all of the walls, and you could see the wiring in a house. Compared to a house, say fifty years ago, you'll see a much larger wiring footprint, um, and within that wiring footprint, there are obviously, you know, stronger fields. So certainly, we, we do live in a in a uh, more of an electropolluted environment, and then we also travel in the same trains, planes, your cars. Um, the EMF in these environments are increasing quite considerably. Sitting on a train, when probably and if it's a full carriage, you know, eight out of 10 people are usually on the phone, give or take a few numbers there. Um, and they're generally, 
either <laughs> you know been on the train where they're playing games and people are connecting. So there's a lot of radio frequency, you know, flying around the inside of a of a train. And as you're passing between um, cell phone tower to cell phone tower and carrier to carrier, those signals increase um, and decrease depending on how close you are to cell tower. So the radiation in in trains, for, for example, does increase and decrease um, <clears throat> as you're in the journey. So between that and our holidays and where we sleep um, and where we work, our EMF footprints have increased considerably in, in the last 30 years at least. Is it dangerous? Because I'm imagining all those fields and uh, what they're sort of like merging over each other. You're moving through them. It's all different frequency. You, you mentioned dirty electricity. What, what's that exactly? Just curious. Dirty electricity is is more of a catch-all term for all of the extra frequencies that um, that you find on your electric circuits. So, for instance, my my laptop in front of me, um, this is powered through a switch mode power supply. That switch mode power supply is converting AC to DC. And the way it does that, um, it's basically trying to slow down and control the AC um, electricity coming in to turn it into a nice smooth DC current. And as it does that, there's actually um, a byproduct, which is uh, an extra frequency, usually in the uh, between sort of 40 and 150 kilohertz, that goes back out on your electric circuits. Um, and it's the same with, with your TV, with your monitor, with your smart meter. Anything that's using a switch mode power supply, like a heat pump, creates all these extra frequencies. Um, so uh, LED lights, CFL bulbs, the old curly fluorescent bulbs, they create extra frequencies. In places where we've adopted more technology and more um energy efficient technology where we're trying to control the flow of electricity we're generally creating other frequencies and those frequencies can be measured uh, on your electric circuits and if there's an electric field around there which there always is which extends out three to four feet uh, within the air within that electric field in the air is also dirty electricity so a, a good example of that is in the old days when you put if you had an AM radio on and you put a vacuum cleaner on, the AM radio goes all distorted. Yeah, I know that one. Yep. <clears throat> also, AM radio is a, is, a, is another good example because the broadcasting AM radio, the frequencies that we use for AM radio are, are ground waves, so they travel along the surface of the ground. They're called Norton waves, but they travel along the, along the ground. And if they hit your house at a particular angle, your electrified circuits are the antenna because of the the size of the wave obviously connects to the the length of the the, the circuits that's in your house because it's all it's all interrelated, um, and we can pick up AM radio on your electric circuits, and in some houses it's extremely clear. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so that, so that, that's effectively dirty electricity. Extra frequencies that are on your electric circuit that you don't want. So you can hear the news or music through the heater or something. Is that how it yeah, can... Yep. Yeah, I was in one house once and uh, I had John Denver playing in one room and I had the Beatles <laughs> playing in another room by the time I got there. Tough choice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, what's that doing to the body? The bigger waves, the, the bigger AM radio waves, they're, they're passing passing straight through us. So the, the, the higher the frequency, the 
the, the shorter the wavelength, um, the less it penetrates the body. So the, the, the lower the frequencies, the longer the wavelength they pass through the body. So um, <clears throat> there was, there's been a, lots and lots of studies. There's, there's, so, there's so, so much evidence online that, that frequencies affect us in different ways. Um, so low, low frequencies, we operate at a, a low frequency base. Our biology is low frequency in the you know the extreme low frequency range. So anything that's man-made that's that's passing through us that's modulated, um, or you know uh, the signal characteristics are altered beyond what they would normally be in nature, will have a biological effect on us. Um, to what degree depends on your physiology. Um, and a bunch of other factors to do with your own your own health. Um, <clears throat> the, the further we go up the scale is we go up the electromagnetic scale. So electromagnetics is what we're talking about. So the electromagnetic spectrum is basically how energy is transferred um, and at different rates. So, um, for instance, you know, AM radio is in the kilohertz range. FM radio is in the megahertz range, in the low megahertz range. Um, cell phones, Wi-Fi. Is, is in between 700 megahertz um, up to 3,500 megahertz. Um, and in that range also we have microwave ovens. And then you go further up the scale into, um, into uh, visible light, invisible light, and um, X-rays, gamma rays, etc. So the, the, higher the, the, the higher the frequency, the shorter the wavelength, the less it penetrates our body except when you get into um, uh, ionizing radiation, which uh, that's not really part of this conversation. So uh, in what's termed non-ionizing radiation is all of these frequencies. Typically, we measure up to 300 gigahertz, and that's what our standards uh, ref uh, reflect on. Um, so we're, we're only now just in that space, certainly with 5G, starting to look at these much smaller um or much higher frequencies that use a much smaller wavelength, and these don't. They, these only have a very small penetrating effect. So, um, lots of these frequencies do do um, have a, a a biological effect on us. Some more than others. The big thing to remember here, I think, is that um, much of the the man-made EMF, where we've you know harnessed an energy source and transfer transformed it into something usable for us we alter all the signal characteristics. So we, we know AM radio is amplitude modulation, FM is uh, frequency modulation, satellites use phase modulation, and uh, cell phones, Wi-Fi, et cetera, use pulse modulation. Um, and the, the three things, that the three characteristics that, that reflect, um, uh, that can that can be reflected into any sort of biological harm. Is it is it worth explaining the differences in those? Um, you know, AM, FM, um, and what uh, what what they or the differences between them. What that actually means, just quickly. What are they mean? different shaped waves? Are they? Is that is that what it is? Uh, to to a degree, to a degree. So uh, uh, AM radio uses an amplitude modulation. Um, so if you imagine a sine wave. Of the yep. um, of the energy, the amplitude is the, the 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 point between the midway and the the top of the wave. So they alter that. So if you looked at a an an, an AM radio 
um, sine wave, it, there would be a, a distortion in in the peaks and the troughs of the of the waveform. With frequency modulation, it's about strength. Um, with with pulse modulation uh, for cell phones and Wi-Fi, um, these 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 waveforms uh, take different um, different heights and different troughs, um, and they can also be square waves. They're not, you know, these aren't analog waves. Analog waves are nice and smooth. This is what we are adapted to in nature. Everything that we we've adapted for our technology and to power everything uses altered signal characteristics that don't exist in nature. Um, and phase modulation, that's a, a different thing altogether for satellites, but that's that's probably another big conversation to have about what's happening in 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 the, the low Earth orbits with satellites. You mentioned um, that uh, the higher the wavelength, sorry, frequency, the less penetration there is. Is that what you said? Correct, yeah. So does that mean the higher the, the, the frequency, the less dangerous it is to physiology? Well, the, the challenge then becomes that the the intensity and the modulation still have you know still characteristics that are alien to our biology. So even though a, a millimeter wave, which we don't have in this country, but we'll get on to talk about 5G and millimeter waves, they only penetrate the skin you know, maybe up to a millimeter or maybe less. But you know, at the end of the day, we have you know our electrical topology, our sweat glands, um, you know, take signals from our skin. You know, we our body reads the environment all the time. So we we when we step outside, and if we're in, if we're lucky enough to be in bare feet, which I, I highly recommend, uh, our body is reading the environment. Um, at, at nighttime, when the sun's going down and the temperature changes, the magnetic field of the Earth is changing. And if you're in bare feet, your body's reading the energy that you're getting from the electrons that are coming from the Earth, um, and your body reads the environment. And it and it does that during the day as well. All of the so, so that so wearing bare feet, or wearing bare feet. You don't wear bare feet. That's the default. So there's there, there's a kind of um, what's the word? Uh, um, a purpose in that. There is a usefulness we, in that. The, we're born with bare feet. We're born to be connected. We have sweat glands in our feet, you know, and that helps to keep make our feet more conductive. We're designed to take energy from from the environment as well as food, obviously. Take energy from the environment, including the sun, um, and then step out of, you know, away from the our energy source, which is you know the earth and the sun, um, and isolate ourselves. We're we're adapted to do that because we can store energy. Stepping out on on the ground right now, it's it's sunny where I am. If I stood outside in bare feet now. The, the sun is an anode, the earth, sorry, the earth is a cathode, the sun, sorry, the earth is the anode, the sun is the cathode, and I'm the battery in between. So I draw in a, in free electrons from the earth. Um, and that's part of what powers us. We're negatively charged. We want negatively charged electrons, an abundance of them, and we get them from the earth. Um, and this is how plants operate. They, they, they connect to the electric field the positive electric field above ground, the negative field of the of the earth, and that allows electrons to flow to to flow um, to the positive protons above. Um, 
and that's where electroculture comes in. That's a, another good topic for a conversation, is how electroculture works in, in, in this regard. And it's tapping into the Earth's energies. And we do that, but unfortunately, not many of us recognise that that is the case. Well, that's why I was interested to ask you about it uh, a bit more, because most people now, unless they're inside, and that may not necessarily connect you in the way you've just talked about, are wearing, are insulating themselves from that. Yeah, we're insulating and isolating. As you know, since the the, the 50s, um, around then, when we started getting rubber-soled shoes, um, before that, we obviously wore a lot of leather shoes. Um, after that point, we really started isolating ourselves just that little bit more. And then with cell phone towers um, and the, the expansion of the EMF environment with the growth of infrastructure, um, that changes the environment some more. So it, it's isolating for us and it's insulating for us. Okay, so uh, we'll get on to 5G in a moment, maybe talk about um, the evolution quickly from the earlier Gs to 5G. Okay, so I, I guess the home is really where most of our listeners' focus will be because of, of you know, things like Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, cellular, microwave, all those things. So <clears throat> what is a prudent way to operate uh, a um, an electronic household with all these issues in mind? What, what do you recommend? So first of all, we need to start recognising that that EMF is should be on our radar for health. Um, we, we we pay attention to to what we what we what we consider to be part of health, but EMF is in in my opinion is, is probably one of the biggest things that that we lack at, at, attention on, um, and that's connecting our own EMF to the environment, but also recognizing what EMFs we are putting into our, our home environments um, and our work environments and travel environments. So begin to start understanding, you know, what 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 EMF is and how it contributes to your to your daily life and your environment. Um, we we we've got to this point through through Changing habits as technology is advanced, we've changed our habits to use to use this technology. And if we if we recognise that that it is, you know, we've adopted this you know level of technology, um, we can recognise that to to back out of it, if you will, to reduce your EMF footprint, it is it's yet again another change of habits to go back to more old school thinking. All of the old school technology. Um, in, like, from light bulbs to to smart meters to just cabling in computers, always had a much lower EMF uh, presence, um, and some of that technology also helped to deal with some of the modern day issues that we have, like dirty electricity. An incandescent bulb, which is still a beautiful thing, um, apart from it being one hundred percent recyclable, um, it actually burns off some of the high frequencies that are on your electric circuits. Um, and it's full of red light, which is good for us. And there's there's very low flicker, and there's not a lot of high frequencies from it. So, you know, some of the old school technology is very good. So we 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 need to continue to still use that where we can. Yeah, that, um, the kind of limiting the supply of talking about those bulbs uh, on the way out. I don't think you can even buy them in the states now. 
No, no, they phased them out. Yeah, okay. And they phased out halogens too, because halogens are very similar principle to incandescent. Right. Yeah. Um, and has the very same light spectrum and the same sort of effects. So uh, the, the the other the other thing to to start considering that considering there is is what's in your bedroom. You you have to have a low EMF sleep sanctuary. You do you you, you need to sleep in a in a low EMF environment. That's where we do all all our repairing. If we're sleeping in a high EMF environment, or even in an environment that has artificial light in the room, we uh, we we disrupt some of our nighttime processes, you know, with with melatonin and such like. So we do need to pay attention to to what we're sleeping in. So in in my line of work, we tend to, to we tend to focus on where we sit, sleep, and stand, particularly where we sleep and where we sit. These right. should be low EMF environments. Okay, and then then the practical way of of lowering EMF in that environment. Um, I suppose you can turn off your Wi-Fi and hook um, cable to the devices that could take it. That that's one way of doing it, right? Yep, yep. Certainly for for, for wireless radiation. Um, once we've once we've turned off Wi-Fi, um, and and for those people that are in the habit of turning it off at night, which is a very good thing to do. A few trips and traps here. We, we need to recognise that when uh, we turn off Wi-Fi, if we still have Wi-Fi devices, say like a smart TV um, that connects to your Wi-Fi, <clears throat> with Wi-Fi turned off, your TV then starts searching for your Wi-Fi signal and goes, "Where have you gone? Where have you gone? Yeah. Where are you?" On the signal, so you actually can, you know, change um, an environment and double the the radiation in the environment by turning off your Wi-Fi if you don't turn off the other devices. Right. So, Good housekeeping is turning off anything that transmits. Recognize that anything that has Bluetooth in it or Wi-Fi in it um, has the potential to transmit um, and and get into the habit of turning those things off. Yeah. Can you sort of um, work out a distance, an optimal distance from these things? Okay, so, um, you know, I've got a cell phone. I probably don't want to turn it off at night because you know things are happening all the time and, and what i do anyway i need to be available i need to know things so i need to keep it on but um you know i don't necessarily have to have it next to me all the time how far away practically do these devices have to be before they sort of the 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 impact of them is lowered enough to be i don't know negligible or as if they were turned off so yeah the smartphone is a is a, is a good example because we have multiple transmitters on the phone for for, for smartphones, uh, you know, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, data, and cellular. So in terms of, you know, radiation levels, your cellular connection, good old phone calls and texts, that uses the least amount of radiation. You don't need a lot of radiation, something like 0 0.001 microwatt, in order to connect to make phone call or send a text. So cellular uses very low radiation. Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, you know, that can kick out sort of 5,000 microwatts. That's getting a bit more. And then data, mobile data, will use considerably more, as you would expect because you want to connect and download things. So learning about your transmitters on your phone and turning off the ones that you don't need um, is a very good habit to get into. Um, if your cellular uh, transmitter is on, it, it could still be in the same room as you. I'd put it at the far end of the bed 
um, that way you could still hear it and the radiation is is uh, is very low from just a cellular call but right. keeping it next to a next to a window is a good idea also because the walls will will attenuate some of that signal will decrease some of that signal that's that's coming in for your phone to connect or for your phone to go out um but the glass in the window won't so putting it next to a, a window is also a, a good habit because the signal strength will be less by, by by the glass. And do you need to? That's okay. That I'm an adult. If if you got kids, do you need to take that to to next level because of children? Do they have um, uh, more, I guess, susceptibility to radio frequency being young and um, and 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 not so sort of fully grown? They they do they do. Um, studies show that radiation from a mobile phone or a mobile phone call penetrates much further into into the head of of a younger person. And and we we know this, you know, as as children are developing, the myelin layers, the fat layers in the brain are are um, are still growing, and you know don't don't mature to about twenty five. Um, and that you know that's one of the protective layers that we have. So. And that's one of the reasons why the radiation penetrates less in the in the in the head of a fully grown adult. Um, but typically, yeah, um, your young you know, your babies and young children um, are more susceptible. You know, being 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 smaller, um, carrying you know less um, uh, less water, less fat than a uh, than a, an adult, um, because water is is quite a a protective substance for us the more hydrated we are um, the more it creates a what's called a faraday cage a protective cage oh so there's that's a good argument to keep your hydration to a, some sort of level it is it is yeah and in, in the emf environment your body becomes dehydrated oh um, okay yeah and and the older we get um we you know we lose our sensation of thirst so you know it's a bit of a bit of a trap for us as we get older so getting into a good good habit and teaching yourself habits of of drinking more water is very good in a in an EMF environment. Um, and of course, we produce water as well on 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 it from our mitochondria. So the more you connect to, to nature, the more you produce water also. But the more you disconnect yourself and put yourself in EMF environments, you will become consider considerably more dehydrated. And many people who find themselves with um, um, a static charge when you walk across a room and you touch a doorknob and you get, you know get a static shock, they, they, that's also correlated with high EMF environments and dehydration. When you're dehydrated, you're more electric. You can carry more of an electrostatic charge. So, you know, there's a big correlation there between all of that. But drinking water at the end of the day is you know creates more of a protective layer for us. Wow, I didn't know that. Okay. When I hear people talking about EMF, it's usually, and they usually don't use that term, but it's usually in the um, talking about 5G now. And um, and also LED lights seem to be talked about more in this um, in these sort of discussions as well. So we've had 2G, 3G, 4G. The G is the generation, I think, means generation. Um, okay, so... Um, I mean, 4G we've had for quite a while. 
I don't think I've heard too many people complaining about that. But there seems to be a lot of concern around 5G. Why is that, do you think? And is there something in that? So 5G, yeah, you're correct. It's, it's the generation 2G, the 5G is the, the generation of technology. 2G was just, you know, cellular call and text. Nothing wrong with that. Those frequencies still exist. 3G, we introduced mobile data, um, and 4G got faster, 5G gets faster still. So you think of a motorway and motorway lanes and how much traffic is traveling up and down it. By the time we got to 5G, it's a big lane highway, more slip roads, more traffic moving faster. But there's different parts to 5G. Um, and the, going back to 2018 um, in New Zealand where people started questioning 5G and anti-5G groups started appearing um, online, uh, they were focusing on what the, the future end game of 5G was. But 5G has, has multiple parts to it. So from, I think, October 2019 in New Zealand, they started rolling out what I call a base layer, but it's it's the sub-6 gigahertz cell phone layer. But in actual fact, it only introduced one new frequency for us, which was 3.5 gigahertz from, um, from Vodafone. The... You know, Spark used an existing frequency that they already had and just sort of rebadged it from the 4G. The, the, oh, so the, their 5G is not really 5G, it's 4G, what, with a little bit of extra or something, is it? It is, yeah. 4G LTE, long-term evolution, just the technology they used, they just rebadged it and called it 5G. Okay, all right. Um, and turned it up a little bit. Um, but the thing that, that started um, causing waves among and causing a bit of distress was the second part of 5G, which is the millimeter waves, the small cells. So it was proposed back in 2018, certainly overseas, not, not so much here, is that you have this, this lower base layer, which we, we currently have, um, which connects a 5G form. And then you have the small cells that were proposed to be on you know, every second or third lamppost using millimeter waves, uh, the 26 to 32 gigahertz, and the higher the frequency, the, the, the shorter the distance it travels. So that's why they proposed it to be on every second or third lamppost. Um, so in 2018, th this was this was a, a you know a bit of a bit of a theme, um, and we're still not there yet. You know, the, this 5G millimeter wave stuff is only just being rolled out in the US, and we're only just measuring it now. So my counterparts who do what I do in, in the US and Canada are only now just um, showing showing people like me what they're finding on their own doorstep with with millimeter waves. So uh, the, the 5G base layers, that's just a, that's another layer of radio frequency out there that we have to contend with. We've already got dozens of, of radio frequencies that we're dealing with. Pulse modulated and the radio frequencies for AM and FM, plus digital TV and a bunch of others. Um, <clears throat> so the the five G base layer that that adds extra layers of, of RF for us. The millimeter wave stuff, which we don't have yet, will um, add significantly other levels of radiation, but in a different way. So what we need to recognise is. What we currently have with the cell phone towers, they broadcast a dedicated signal all of the time. 
the 5G millimeter wave stuff is signals on demand. So if you have a form, a 5G millimeter wave form in the ultra wide band, as it's called, um, and you make a call on a city street, you are inviting the transmitter to create a beam and point it at you. Um, and these forms and the, the technology can um, point up to 16 beams to any one person. Wow. And we've, okay. we've found in testing in the US with, with the millimeter wave gear that we have, that the signal strength from the millimeter waves are much higher than the current um, the current levels that we, we currently get if we're walking down Queen Street. or How much higher? X, how many? 20, 20 times higher. Gee, okay. We're, we're into the millions of microwatts now. Uh, when a when a beam is formed onto a, a form, that's what it's called, beam forming. Um, and if you have the, the, the appropriate form, um, a beam will be formed around you and, and you will connect to it. And um, so they've found in, in testing with, the, with this new gear, there's always an ambient um, radio frequency in a few hundred microwatts around a 5G uh, transmitter, one of the small cells. But as soon as a phone connects, uh, the radiation does increase considerably, but in a much narrower beam. Um, but if you're walking past that, you know, you're, you're going to be part of it. Okay, I'm just sort of visualising all that. What about LED lights? LED lights, we're, we're into a different subject there. We're into, into light pollution and, and the light spectrum. So there is an EMF component to to many LED LED bulbs. Um, <clears throat> you can't tell from the outside, but some will give you an extra frequency, extra high frequencies. They will have a lot of flicker with them, flicker that we can't see because our visual range can only cope with so much cope with so much flicker. But our brain still perceives that flicker. Um, and obviously, there's a, a the, the frequencies there do come back out on, onto the electric circuit as dirty electricity. But it's the blue light component of LED lights, which is the bigger issue. Um, cool white and warm white LED bulbs have a big spike of blue light. Blue light in nature is what controls our circadian rhythm. The first thing in the morning when we wake up and we step outside and we read the blue light, call the temperature of the sun, that it, it sets our, our body clocks and gets our hormone panel you know, all fired up. And then when the, the, the sun ri rises a bit further in the sky, as UV kicks in, it actually turns off that hormone panel. But sitting under an, an, an LED light at 10 o'clock at night, when there's no blue light in nature, um, <clears throat> that blue light is telling your body clock through your eyes and your skin, because we have photoreceptors in our skin as well, um, it's telling your body that it's much earlier in the day. Changes your circadian rhythm, you can't sleep at night. And it's the same with the phone screen, the computer screen, the blue backed, the other, the other high peak of blue light. Wow. Okay. Never thought that that was going on as I'm walking over the road where there's a whole bunch of LED lights now. Okay. So I guess um, this has been absolutely fascinating. So to sort of kind of bring it to a close, the standards that are in place to make sure there is no harm from this, um, are they fit for purpose or are they too loose? Is there enough known? Uh, how do you see that? So 
you know, the the, the big question: does it is this is this stuff harmful? The answer is an absolute yes. And uh, just by looking at a, a you know a few small websites, ehtrust.org, emfscientist.org, emfresearch.com, powerwatch.org.uk, you can quickly find a hundred thousand studies that talk about um, issues from radio frequency exposure. Granted, a lot of it's on rats and mice, but you, you can't you can't really test on on human. Everything's on rats and mice these days, yeah. Andy. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and in 2018, you know, two big studies came out in 2018. Um, one from the National Institute of Health, Anthony Fauci's mob. Uh, you know, a 25 million dollar, 15 year study um, from the National National Toxicology Program that came out and said um, a clear evidence of cancer in rats and mice from 2G and 3G frequencies. Okay. A few years later, yeah. in 2018. Uh, an Italian institute called the Ramazzini Institute um, uh, published their findings from a very similar study, but this was with 4G frequencies, um, and they they bought, they came away also with clear evidence of cancer in rats and mice in male rats. Surprisingly, male rats and male mice more than female. Oh, hmm. um, and. The, the governing body that certainly New Zealand um, leans on for the exposure guidelines around radio frequency, we do have our own standard, which is called the NZS 2772, published in 1999, but it's based on the international standards, which is uh, comes from uh, an organisation called ICNIRP, I-C-N-I-R-P, International Commission for Non-Ionising Radiation and protection. There's a P on the end of there for protection, surprisingly. Um, so they issue the, the the limits for radio frequency. Um, and the, the two big studies that came out in 2018, a bunch of scientists put, put these back to ICNERP and said, here's the evidence, you know, you need to review your guidelines. Us in the EMF world went, yeah, we finally got something. And ICNERP said, there's not enough evidence here. We will not be reviewing our guidelines. Hmm. Um, and so the New Zealand standard, which we have, which was published in 1999, you can imagine it was um, uh, put together a, a year or two uh, before that, has very high limits uh, for radio frequency. So anything under uh, two 2,000 megahertz is 9 million microwatts. Anything above that, is 10 million microwatts. And that's excessively high. I've only ever been in one situation in one home where I was measuring close to 3 million microwatts. Um, and it was actually where a lady was sleeping and um, she, she'd only been in this house a year and she was extremely sick with multiple life-threatening conditions, including failing eyesight, which is a clear indication of high RF. Oh, so wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> our standards... Um, are quite old now. They don't really consider the multiple layers of radio frequency that we have. They only pertain, there's a lot of hold in the standard that we have. They they pertain to singular frequencies. But you know, if you're walking down Queen Street, your body isn't just connecting to a single frequency of say 1800 megahertz, which is your your your, um, your 4G. Um, it's connecting to all of the frequencies that are in that uh, on, on in that location, 
of which there are dozens. And the standard doesn't pay attention to the overall power density of all of the man-made radio frequency. Um, that's just one of the many holes. In so the that's system. like a soup of RF. It is. It is. If you could see it, if we could see it, which would be amazing, you would you know, be amazed at all of the waves of energy around you. I, I like to think that if we if we brought back an ancestral man or an Ice Age man um, to bring him back to life, put him in Queen Street, I, I personally would think that he would recoil in the amount of EMF in the environment. And I thought would, there would be a direct yeah, and, uh, reaction to it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that would be the case. It's my my own hypothesis. Yeah, you probably. Yeah, I can see how that could be though. Yeah. At the, at the end of the day, we've you know, we've we've been in this environment now that's been turned up slowly. In the last few years, some many of the cell phone towers around the country have been turned up a little bit as the, as the licenses have been reissued because they okay. they're on an yeah. expiration timeline. Um. <clears throat> And so, and, and more layers of, of RF are out there. So it's a boiling the frog analogy. You know, we're getting so used to this environment and the, the headaches that we have, the aches and pains that we have, um, and that skin rash that we got, the sleepless nights where we wake up with a, a racing heart. We just think it's normal everyday stress of working and doing everything else. But in reality, for me personally, I think the EMF environment has a huge bearing on all of these small maladies that we have and these, um, yeah, a, a, a lot of the, many of the conditions that, that, that we see today, in my view, do have a correlation to EMF to some degree. We are con intrinsically connected to, to natural EMF. But the question yeah. of does this particular RF or this soup of RF radio frequency does this affect me well the, the answer is a complete resounding yes and there's so much evidence out, to, out there to suggest that but the other big question which which is on the other side is if this rf exists and it's all man-made and altered signal characteristics etc does this separate me from connecting to nature's frequencies and what is the consequence of that Good that point. for me is another yeah. big question yeah, we should think about that. Um, okay, final question. So people have, I guess, confidence in talking about this because it is a bit of a lottery. You can start talking about, uh, especially 5G, and already you're a tinfoil hat or you're down a rabbit hole. So when why do you think people are so um, quick to to paint people in that sort of characterize people that way when talking about RF. There, there seems to be a, some kind of triggering that goes on. Have you thought about that and why that is? Yeah, yeah. I, every now and again when I put my head above the radar, you know, people shoot me down. Um, but, you know, that, that's that's part of the landscape. Um, how, to, how to deal with that? There, there's there's always going to be people that, that love the technology and um, feel that, the, you know, the, 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 there's no harm from it. But, you know, scratching the surface of this subject will reveal a hell of a lot, and, and it's been around for a long time, and that more, more so in the last 10 years. In the last 10 years since I've been doing this, the, our presence in New Zealand from various groups has, has increased quite considerably. Um, how people react, it, it's absolutely fine. 
you know, I, I, I've, I've been through the Skeptic Society and they've n- tried to nail me to the wall. You know, it's, <laughs> it, it, yeah. it's part of the landscape. Um, I'm not. But, but isn't being skeptical also being skeptical about EMF as well? And, and, uh, and, yeah. You know that's part of that. That's being skeptical, uh, having doubts, or, or wanting to hear arguments that make sense in favour of it as well. Yeah, but I, I also think you know part of it is the the way you know, and we've seen it over the last few years with you know with uh, you know handing over our health knowledge to to various bodies. We've almost given away our our own innate ability to to know about our own biology and health. Yeah. And we've forgotten to rely on our own intuition. If you visited some of the houses or the environments that I've been to, you will feel the effect straight away. Wow. I, you okay. know, certain environments I won't step into now because it, it's just too damaging. You know, I, you can I'm actually not... physically feel the effect. You you yeah. Yeah. pick up on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can walk through a house and feel a magnetic field on the other side of the wall, and before I even get my gear out to measure it, um, and you can you can tune yourself in, in, into that sort of level. Is there anything that we've left out, or anything more that you want to say about this? I think we've sort of ranged through everything. I don't want to have missed anything because we want people to take good information, practical things they can do from this. Yeah, so this is a very big subject, and we, we're just scratching the surface of it. Yeah, I understand that. But, yeah, but the, the take the takeaways that that we, we should leave people with is that for people like me, my, my position is one of service. I'm here to provide a service to, to educate people on what's in their environment and the environment is changing and we need to adapt to the changing environment, the changing EMF environment. But there, there are many things that you can do. Um, and I, I like to try and leave people um, empowered at the end of the day. It's not all about shielding and protection and living a hermit life. We can still enjoy what we need to, but we we need to also understand we need to um, do a bit more readapting, re-nature ourselves, start learning a little bit more about how we connect to nature. And that helps to offset some of the the EMF smog that we put ourselves into. But recognise after you've been in an office at work, step outside without sunglasses on, get some sun in your eyes, let your body read the environment outside. Um, inside your home, pay attention to everything that plugs in or transmits. Turn off as much as possible because your EMF environment does invade your sleep space and does affect your body when you're trying to recover while you sleep. There's a bunch of different things you can do. It's not all about just spending money on it. It's about recognizing what's in your environment, creating distance from it, turning it off, and if it is a big issue, like a, a transmitting tower outside, then you know we can shield and go through the process of dealing with that. Um, but it is the, the landscape can be scary if you first dip your toe into it. But when you realise that you have control over a good portion of it, um, and I recommend people exercise that control, then you know it, it's an empowering thing to know what's going on around you. Empowering. who put the power and empowering okay andy hooley that's been a really interesting chat um now earth waves is there somewhere people can go have you got a website that people can go and and find out more or or some point of contact that you might want to mention right now before we finish up yeah so earthwaves.co.nz is my main emf survey site and there's a link there to emfshop.co.nz which is a 
an online store for various products, low radiation shielding products, and a, and a bunch of other information. So they're my two main sites, um, and that's how people generally contact me. Andy Hooley, thank you for coming on RCR. It's been really interesting. Appreciate that. Thank you, Paul. That was really good. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.